You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Hope that all of our listeners had a great weekend. Let's talk some Seahawks football. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. We don't often make birthdays a major news headline on Locked On Seahawks, but Bobby Wagner hit a bit of a milestone on Saturday. The ageless wonder finally turned 30 years old. He's played eight seasons in the NFL, and he's one of those players that just seemed like he's constantly been in the mid-20s. Now, finally turning 30 years old in his soon-to-be Hall of Fame career, I think it's worth noting some of the accomplishments, stepping back for a moment, looking back at what Bobby Wagner has done during his time in the NFL since being a second-round pick out of Utah State. He's coming off another fantastic season in 2019 with over 150 tackles. He actually led the NFL in tackles for the second time in his career. It was the sixth time in eight NFL seasons that Wagner has had at least 120 tackles. He's surpassed 100 tackles every year that he's been in the league. Just a beacon of consistency and dominance. And last year, though, It was not his finest season in all regards. He was still named a first-team All-Pro, and he certainly did enough to earn that. Some people will say it was reputation-based, but he still had a very good season. And for the fifth time in six years, he was named first-team All-Pro. The only time that he wasn't named first-team All-Pro, he was a second-team selection in 2015. So again, reliability, consistency, dominance, durability, you name it. He's checked off all those boxes and already seems to have a foot in Canton. We're talking about one of only 19 players at the linebacker position that has had at least five first-team All-Pro selections. The NFL record is eight. There are three players, including Lawrence Taylor, who were first-team All-Pro selections eight different times. But just turning 30, maybe it's not out of reach for Bobby Wagner to join them eventually and get to that seven or eight first-team All-Pro mark, which then he would be a surefire first-ballot Hall of Famer. You can already make some pretty strong arguments that he deserves to be considered if he retired now. He's been that great during his eight seasons with the Seahawks. Now, some of these stats I'm going to throw out to you. I'm going to give a ton of credit to my colleague, Nick Lee, who did some research for this uh, to do an article today. But when you look at Bobby Wagner's career, there's just some things that really jump out. Obviously, he's already the all-time leading tackler for the Seahawks. He passed Eugene Robinson last season but a few statistics of note here when we're talking about just how great this guy has been Wagner is the only player over the last eight years in the NFL that has had at least 104 tackles at any position on defense he's the only player that has done that all eight years so again very exclusive company there for Wagner He can also stake claim to the fact that he already has more first-team All-Pros than Brian Urlacher, who was elected to the Hall of Fame a few years ago, former superstar, middle linebacker for the Bears, had an outstanding career. Wagner already has more first-team All-Pro selections than what he did. And looking at his tackle numbers, since 1987, only eight linebackers have amassed at least 1,000 tackles in the NFL And four of the seven are enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And the other three, these names are big ones. Lance Briggs, Zach Thomas, and Luke Keekley, who just retired for the Carolina Panthers. I think all three of those players will eventually be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Keekley has a little shorter career retiring as early as he did, but still 
outstanding numbers, won a bunch of awards as well, one of the best linebackers of his era. Really, he and Wagner were 1A and 1B during the 2010s as the best two middle linebackers in the sport. Patrick Willis is in that discussion as well. He retired midway through the 2010s. But all three of those guys, elite talents. But the point being, the other seven players are either in the Hall of Fame or going to be at some point. I think that Bobby Wagner has already solidified his standing there. Another Pro Bowl season, another first-team All-Pro, and you can pretty much cash his Hall of Fame nomination to the bank. He's going to be elected to Canton, and it's just remarkable seeing what he has been able to do, racking up 1,075 tackles in eight years, having 10 interceptions, nearly 50 passes defensed. Last year, he showed off his blitzing prowess for a team that couldn't get pressure on opposing quarterbacks, three and a half sacks and a couple other years that he has surpassed that. Just can do it all, still playing at a very high level. And, and I believe last season that he was a little nicked up, especially at the end of the year. He was dealing with an ankle issue. It'll be nice to see him back at 100%. And bringing in a player like Jordan Brooks that can add some more speed in the middle of the defense. They play a little bit more nickel as well. I think that's only going to help him out in coverage. I think he was put in some tough spots last year. But nonetheless, even with a down season by his standards for some fans, he still went out and got a first-team all-pro selection, was the unsung leader of that defense, put up gaudy numbers in the tackle category, did well in other categories as well, continues to be the class in the linebacker position. And I think it's just one of those times Seahawks fans really have to appreciate what they've been able to watch over the last eight years. And hopefully he's going to continue to play at a high level for several more seasons in Seattle. The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the hosts, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. When I returned for the second quarter last week, we were not able to get to a mailbag segment because there was a lot of news stories and we were covering our top 100 Seahawks countdown, a number of different things. We are actually going to answer mailbag questions from you, the listeners, for the last two quarters of today's show to make up for it. Really looking forward to answering as many questions as I can. Stay tuned. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, and all the parts are available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked in in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. No Rob Rang this week. He's out on vacation, a much-deserved vacation for my co-host. But we will have a couple other co-hosts that will be jumping on the show here in coming days. Really looking forward to the opportunity to have some different people on the show. Going to be a lot of fun. For the next two quarters, 
I mentioned this a bit ago. Didn't have a chance to answer any mailbag questions last week. We originally scheduled it for Wednesday like normal and had a few crazy things come up in the middle of the week and ran out of time to answer any questions on the show. So for today's podcast, I'm going to be answering questions for the second and third quarter. We've got a bunch of questions from you, the listeners. Going to try to tackle as many as I can. So let's get to it. First one coming from David Hershey. Any player from last year's practice squad you think might sneak onto the final roster or any undrafted free agents from this year to make the roster? So let's tackle the first part of that question, the practice squad players from last year. The first name I'm going to throw out there doesn't really have any way to sneak up on anybody because Brian Monet is one of the biggest men that I have ever seen. 360 plus pound defensive tackle. He's not going to be sneaking up on anybody. He did play in three regular season games last year. He suited up for both playoff games as well. So he got a little bit of experience as an undrafted rookie coming out of Michigan. He made the initial roster in week one. A few weeks later, they had to cut him to make some other changes on the roster, brought him back to the practice squad. And Without Al Woods, who signed with the Jaguars in free agency, they haven't went out and gotten any other big defensive tackles. I was told they are still looking into Damon Harrison, but there are some questions whether Harrison wants to still play or not. That's kind of up in the air. And with the COVID stuff, a lot of those veterans haven't been rushing to sign a contract with anybody as well. There's quite a few good veteran defensive tackles out there. So there's still time Seattle could add somebody at that position. But as the roster is constructed right now, Brian Monet is your nose tackle. He is your big body, 350-plus pound nose tackle. They don't have anybody else on the roster that's going to fill that void. DeMarcus Christmas is a good run defender, but he's around 300 pounds, not near the size that Brian Monet brings to the table. A couple other names I'm going to throw out there. At the receiver position, last year he was with the Indianapolis Colts in training camp, got injured, then they cut him. Seahawks signed him to their practice squad a few weeks later. Penny Hart is a player that I would keep a really close eye on. Not the fastest receiver out there, but he is really quick, can make plays with the football in his hands. And I think he's a guy that if he's healthy, that's been the biggest issue for him is trying to stay healthy. He's an explosive playmaker. He can make plays on special teams as well. That only will aid his quest to try to make this football team. They obviously liked what they saw because they signed into a reserve future deal in January, and he is still on the roster. So I think Penny Hart, he's going to have a tough time making the team, but it's certainly a wild card to watch. If he has a really good training camp at preseason, could sneak onto the roster. And Lyndon Stevens, the corner that also played for the Seahawks in their practice squad for a while last year. And then the Miami Dolphins claimed him off their practice squad. And he played in three games for the Dolphins in December. Racked up a couple of tackles, played some defensive snaps, played on special teams, gave up a lot of receptions, four targets at him, and he allowed all four to be completed. But again, that is a very limited sample size. This guy is not long enough or tall enough to play on the outside, but he can certainly play that slot corner position. Actually posted better 40 and 20-yard uh, short shuttle times than Ugo Amadi, who is expected to be the starter at that position. Stevens might be the one guy. He was name-dropped by John Schneider and Pete Carroll after the draft. Might be that one guy that can really have a chance to compete with Ugo Amadi at that position because he does have the quickness, and he's technically sound enough to be able to play that slot corner position for Seattle. So Stevens, Penny Hart, those are two names to watch. Brian Monet, certainly a big-bodied run stuffer. They're going to have to have somebody fill that void with Al Woods being gone. As far as this year's undrafted rookie class, again, I've mentioned this on several podcasts, 
going to be extremely hard for these guys to be able to make this football team, even compared to a normal season, because you don't have OTAs in many camps. And there's a chance that preseason games could get cut because of COVID as well. If you only have two preseason games to play instead of four, that's a lot less reps out in a game situation to be able to evaluate these kind of players. So it's going to be tough. A few names I'm going to keep throwing out there. I think the safety out of Baylor, Chris Miller, is a guy that intrigues me because he's kind of a poor man's version of Marquise Blair. Not quite as athletic, but he's a big hitter, has enough body size that he can play safety for the Seahawks. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Anthony Gordon against Geno Smith. He's a guy that put up gaudy numbers in his one season as starter at Washington State. Quarterback's in an especially tough position without offseason work to be able to make a team. But Gordon certainly is a player that the Seahawks are fired up. They were able to get their hands on as a potential backup for Russell Wilson. And Marcus Webb, defensive end out of Troy, is a player that had seven sacks last year that I like quite a bit, might be a, a contender to surprise this year. And one other name I'm going to throw out I haven't talked about really is Tommy Champion, the tackle out of Mississippi State. He didn't start full-time for Mississippi State last year in his final season with the team, but he's a big-body tackle, and the Seahawks don't have a ton of depth there. You've got Dwayne Brown, Brandon Shell, Jamarco Jones, and then after that, there's not a lot of bodies that can play the tackle position. So I think Tommy Champion's going to have a legitimate opportunity to try to compete for a backup spot because they just don't have very many tackles on the roster. A ton of guards, a ton of centers, but not a lot of tackle options. So keep an eye on Champion. Mike Holsey, who has the better season, DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett? I was thinking Lockett here first when I was reading that question. I still think that Tyler Lockett is going to be the leading receiver for the Seahawks next year. And that's not to say that DK Metcalf can't take a step forward. I could very easily see both these guys get to 1,000 receiving yards. They almost did it last year. And Think about the low catch percentage for Metcalf. In fact, they had some drops. If he catches half those passes – He's probably getting into the 940, 950 range receiving yard wise. And he really came on late in the season. So I think it's possible both these guys could get to the thousand yard mark. But I still think Tyler Lockett is the most trusted receiver for Russell Wilson. He's just improved every single year. He's coming off his first thousand yard season. He's going to be 28 years old. I think he's just now hitting his prime. So I think there's a great opportunity for him as long as he stays healthy and he's on the field that he can get past the 1,000-yard mark again and potentially have more touchdowns than he had last year. He had that couple weeks he was dealing with a shin injury that he suffered against the 49ers. He played through it. If he can stay healthy and doesn't battle anything like that, I think he's got a chance to make his numbers even better than last year. Both these guys could. It's going to be difficult in the offense Seattle runs, but certainly they've got a dynamic duo there in those two players. And, and I think Tyler Lockett's got another big season coming up in 2020. Tygmo tweets, could there be a Chris Jones trade? Well, could there be? Sure. Will there be? Uh, probably not, if we're being realistic here. And the big thing for me, when you're looking at a potential trade for somebody like a Chris Jones or a Yannick Ngakwe, and of course we're going to talk about it on Locked on Seahawks because everybody wants to trade for stars. That's how you win in this league. you got to have stars on your team. And certainly Seattle struggled rushing the passer last year. So those discussions about Ngakwe and Chris Jones and Matt Judon of the Ravens, those particular players made a lot of sense for what Seattle needed going into this offseason. But if anything has been proven the last two years when it comes to John Schneider, it's that he's not going to pay that $20 million plus per year for an elite pass rusher. He's just not going to do it. He wouldn't do it for Frank Clark. He wouldn't do it for Jadevian Clowney this year. and wouldn't even come close to that $20 million. So – 
it's very evident that that is a position that he doesn't want to break the bank for. Now, maybe a player in that 15, 16 million range, he would be willing to pay that price, but he is not going to pay that upper tier pass rusher price in that 20 plus million range. And Chris Jones is going to command that on a long-term deal. And rightfully so. He has been a dynamic rusher. He can play inside. He can play five tech defensive end. He's a monster. He's been really good for several seasons in a row. So he's not a one-year fluke. This is a guy that has earned that contract. I just don't think John Schneider wants to pay that for a defensive end. And you look at their history, they've been much more inclined to pay secondary players, which is why I've mentioned Jamal Adams as maybe more of a realistic trade option because that seems to be the way Pete Carroll builds his defense, is that he wants stars in the secondary and the linebacker core and up front, he can build a pass rush. They weren't able to do that last year. The secondary had its struggles, though, in 2019 as well. So I think he would be more open to that type of deal than Chris Jones. Again, if we get into training camp and he holds out in Kansas City, I don't know if that's going to happen. But there's some ways that this could become more plausible. I just don't see it happening right now. Based on John Schneider's unwillingness to pay defensive ends in the past, I don't see him breaking the bank trading away a first-round pick on top of it to get him from Kansas City. Doug tweets, if you could pick four Seahawks to star as the Delta squad in Gears of War, if there was a Gears of War movie, who would you pick? So I, I put way more time into this in prep on this show than I probably should have because I'm a huge Gears of War fan. This is a great question, Doug. If you don't know who Delta squad is, sorry, uh, I'm a video game nerd. So, um, Marcus, I decided to go. I, I went with some former and current Seahawks. I went with former uh, guest here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Lofa Tutupu, because I was thinking about this. And Bautista, the former wrestler, now an actor, Dave Bautista, he has wanted to play as Marcus in a Gears of War movie for a long time. He's been pushing for that. He's been calling directors like, I'm your guy. I think Lofa Tutupu is a similar build. And I think Lofa Tutupu could play that role really well as Marcus Phoenix. I would be excited about that. And then Dom, we're going to go with a, a more casual linebacker in KJ Wright. I think KJ Wright would be an excellent complement to Marcus playing the Dom role. And I think it'd be a lot of fun to see those two play uh, those roles in such a movie. And then the Coltrane, I was thinking about this. There were several different guys that came to mind immediately, but I think you got to have Bobby Wagner playing as him, the tackling machine himself. I think Bobby Wagner would excel in that role. And then for Baird, one of my favorite characters off the Gears of War series, I actually am going to go with John Ryan. I think John Ryan would be awesome playing as Baird with his sense of humor and just his personality. I think he would be a perfect fit to play as Baird. So I would have Lofa Tutupu, KJ Wright, Bobby Wagner and John Ryan playing as the Delta squad. And I think it would be awesome. I, sign me up. I will direct that movie. It would be awesome. Question five here, stake and stock tweets. Could we see KJ Wright thrown into a potential trade package this season? So we go from KJ Wright starring in a movie to KJ Wright potentially being traded. Now I've talked about this a couple times during the off season because of his cap hit. If the Seahawks were in a position, they wanted to sign a veteran before training camp and they need a little bit of space, certainly that is an option they could look at is trying to make a move with K.J. Wright. It's not impossible, but I think when you look at the leadership that he brings to the table, the fact that he has himself said he's going to be good to go for the start of the season come off, coming off shoulder surgery, I think that K.J. Wright is going to be with the Seahawks in 2020. They're not going to be moving him around. I think they're going to keep him, even if Jordan Brooks comes in and has a monster training camp of preseason and 
pushes into the starting lineup. I, I just think that K.J. Wright is too valuable of a leader, and he played too well last season. Career highs in tackles, interceptions, and passes defensed. He deserves to play with the Seahawks in 2020, given what he's done, and he's still playing at a very high level. So I don't see him getting moved. I can't say it's impossible, but I don't think they'd be able to get the right value for him anyway. I think they'd much rather have him play in 2020, and then if it's time to part ways as a free agent, he's in the last year of his contract, that would be more fitting of a way to kind of break things off for both sides. I don't think you're going to get the right value trading him. Anders tweets, prediction, where will the Seahawks defense rank at the end of the season, better or worse than last year's D? So last year they were in the mid-20s in nearly every category. I think they will be better just because of some of the moves that they've made this offseason. Yes, you don't have Jadevian Clowney, but you bring in a playmaking linebacker like Jordan Brooks, K.J. Wright's back, Bobby Wagner, Cody Barton. They've got a great linebacking group. The secondary, Quentin Dunbar, assuming that he's good to go and can play. You upgraded your secondary. Ugo Amadi is going to be in his second season. A great chance for him to step into that nickel role and play better. And I think up front, you're going to have a better pass rush just because of the additional parts that you brought into the table. Your rotation now has Bruce Irvin, Benson Maioa. You drafted Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson. None of those guys may be superstars for you, but they all know how to get after the quarterback. I just think overall they're going to have more guys that are capable of getting to the quarterback, and that by itself is going to make this defense better. You're going to have a full season with Quandre Diggs. So I don't think this is a top-10 defense. If they go out and get somebody like a Chris Jones, then maybe we can re-enter that discussion. Maybe that's a team that can be a top-10 defense. But I think top 15 is certainly attainable. They've got enough talent at all three levels of this defense, especially if the pass rush picks it up and they're able to get good contributions out of Irvin, Mayoa, the rookies can pitch in and get after the quarterback a bit. Then I think this defense is going to be much better than last year. They won't be elite, but I think this group is going to be better than what we saw in 2019. Marshall tweets, is it true you sang in a band at one point, and could you do a demo for us? So answer the second question. I am not doing a demo on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, but I was in a heavy metal band for a couple of years. Yes, I was the lead singer, lead vocalist, and uh, yes, I did some screaming, but not going to do any demos here on the podcast. Maybe someday I'll uh, do a quick like three-minute song or post something so our listeners can hear it, but not on the show. Sorry about that. Flag Sabbath tweets, Corbin, what do you think about Des Bryant as an option for the Seahawks? So, first off, I would rather see the Seahawks sign Des Bryant, who hasn't played for two years, than sign Antonio Brown. Des Bryant does not have a perfect personality. He's gotten in trouble in the past. He's somebody that you kind of had to watch a little bit. But I think at this stage, he just clearly wants to play. He just wants somebody else to give him an opportunity. For From that perspective, I would much rather sign him than Brown, even though I think Antonio Brown is the far superior player, especially at this point in their respective careers. Even with Brown only playing one game last year, he is still an elite talent on the field. There's just a ton of baggage that you have to put up with. But again, he hasn't played for two years. I think Des Bryant will get an opportunity. I think somebody will bring him into training camp and he's going to get a chance. I just, I don't know that it's going to be the Seattle Seahawks. I think if they're going to add a receiver, Still most likely to sign Josh Gordon if he's reinstated, bring him back, or Antonio Brown as much as I hate saying it. The, the fact the Seahawks have shown interest multiple times, I think it is still something that is very much a realistic possibility. But I think those two would be a much higher chance of being in Seattle than Brian at this point. I do think somebody will give him a shot, though.
Beast Bounds 99, do you think there's a chance the Seahawks will sign both Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon? Again, this is one of those I can't say never, but with their current cap situation, especially because I still think Antonio Brown is going to command more money than what Josh Gordon is going to get coming off of another suspension. I just don't see them signing both these guys. And plus, that's two very interesting case studies to bring into your locker room. Josh Gordon, they already know, is is an outstanding locker room guy. He's just unfortunately had issues with the suspensions and with the drug abuse. And Antonio Brown has a laundry list of off-field issues that he's dealt with, especially over the last year. Everything around him has just been one big circus. So you're really rolling the dice by bringing both them in at the same time. And I don't know that they need to. Adding one receiver would be really nice. Josh Gordon or Brown would be nice when you're looking from a talent standpoint. I think adding both would be a bit of overkill. So I'm not going to, again, I can say it's impossible, but I don't see it happening. I think it's still much more likely that Gordon comes back and then Brown would be a distant second option for them when he comes back from suspension, whatever the league ends up punishing him with. That's still something we're uncertain about. I think it's Josh Gordon. If they're going to sign a receiver, he's probably the guy that's coming in and getting another chance of the Seahawks. DG tweets. What are your thoughts on our week two matchup now that Cam Newton got signed? So I'm going to admit I'm really excited about this because you always want to play the best. We always want to beat the best. And Cam Newton and Russell Wilson have a nice quarterback rivalry. It's been pretty one-sided. Russell Wilson has won five of those seven prior games. Six, actually six out of eight when you include the playoff games. So Wilson and the Seahawks have dominated the Panthers with Cam Newton under center. But that said, they have played some classic games. They played some really good games in the playoffs as well. And so you know that both those guys are fired up about the chance to be able to play against each other. And for the sake of Cam Newton, whether you like him or not, there are too many quarterbacks in this league that are employed that are not as good as what he is. If he's healthy, he is going to be the starter for the New England Patriots. It's not going to be Jared Stidham, at least not this year. He may still be your guy down the road, but they're signing him to start if he's healthy. That's the big key. And everything I've seen, it looks like he's 100% healthy. He's ready to go. So that means that primetime matchup just got much spicier. You don't have Russell Wilson against Jared Stidham. You have Russell Wilson versus Cam Newton, much bigger names, for a Sunday night football primetime matchup. And, and I think it makes New England, again, a team to deal with in the AFC East. If Cam Newton's able to be healthy and return to form, he doesn't have to be the MVP that he was in 2015. But if he comes back and he plays at a high level, like a top 15 quarterback with the other pieces the Patriots have, the coaching staff that they have, the New England Patriots will be right back in the thick of things in the AFC East. The rest of the division, not too happy to see this news. New England, not going away. It's not going to be a rebuilding year with him back as their quarterback. So I'm really excited. It makes it a tougher early season schedule. But again, you want to play the best. You want to beat the best. And I'm sure Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and company fired up for the chance to play Cam Newton in his new uniform with the New England Patriots. Seahawks fan 27, do you think that the roster has the potential of healthy to field the most dynamic offense in Seahawks history what are you expecting the production to be if they can keep all the pieces together they can stay healthy? And again, this is a huge if when you've got players like Greg Olson and Will Disley that have injury histories. DK Metcalf had an injury history at Ole Miss. Chris Carson has had injuries. Rashad Penny is probably going to start the season on the pup list. They've had a lot of issues keeping guys healthy. Dwayne Brown, even last year, was battling a bunch of injuries throughout the season, missed a couple games. So, 
they have to be able to keep this group healthy as possible. If they can, this has the potential to be one of the best offenses in franchise history. I don't know if it touches the 2005 group that got the Seahawks to the Super Bowl that year that had Sean Alexander in the backfield, and they had a couple of receivers that were banged up that year, and they still they still put up big offensive numbers. That's probably the best offense the Seahawks have had. Russell Wilson's led some really good ones in his career as well with Marshawn Lynch in the backfield and some of the receivers they've had, Baldwin, Curse and company. So they have had some really dynamic offenses. This group, if everybody stays healthy though, third year with Brian Schottenheimer calling the shots, Russell Wilson in the prime of his career, they've got a chance to be one of the best offenses in the NFL and maybe one of the best offenses the Seahawks have ever had. To me, the biggest X factor is how healthy does this group stay throughout the season? And our last question here, Matthias writes, future plans with the amount of cap space next year. So my disclaimer on this before I even answer this question, the Seahawks right now per overthecap.com, they are estimated to have $67 million in cap space for 2021. And there's obviously the COVID situation hanging over every team's salary cap right now. Because if you don't have fans, which it looks like there's not going to be, maybe you can have partial capacity by the middle of the season and whatnot. We don't know how all this is going to play out. But losing fans is going to cost the NFL millions and billions of dollars in revenue. And that is going to cause the salary cap to probably shrink next year. So teams are anticipating that. I made an argument about this when I was writing an article a few weeks ago. I think the Seahawks, they've, they've been a team that likes to hand out one-year deals anyway. But this year especially, I think a lot of the moves that they've made, they've been cognizant of the situation with the salary cap that we don't know what this is going to look like next year. And so they don't have a lot of players on the books. They haven't signed guys to extensions like Shaquille Griffin, Chris Carson, Bradley McDougal. They haven't made any moves like that, which I think, again, a lot of it has to do with the pandemic. There's just so much uncertainty with how the finances are going to look. If you have a season that gets canceled somehow, that's going to make things even worse going into a potential 2021 season when you're trying to get players back on the field. There could be millions of dollars taken off the salary cap for every team and the Seahawks will be in a better position than some because they don't have a ton of guys in their contract. But at the same time, if you do take big hits and every team suddenly doesn't have near as much cap space to work with, it is going to impact how much the players get paid and it's going to impact the type of players teams are going to go after. I just don't see Seattle ever becoming a team that's going to splurge and spend big bucks on free agents. That's just not John Schneider's style. They're going to continue to look for the bargains and be second and third wave free agency hunters. I don't see that changing. It would be even more conservative if the salary cap takes a hit next year, as many are suspecting that it will with the situation with fans not being in the stands and losing a bunch of revenue. We'll have to wait and see. Again, there's so much uncertainty around all of these things, but maybe the Seahawks would be more willing to look into some trades, be more aggressive, but a lot of it bears on what the salary cap ends up looking like and none of us know what it's going to look like March next year when a new league year is starting whether we're coming off a full season or a partial season or no season at all there's just a number of different things that could play out in the next several months that will impact the salary cap for the Seahawks and all 32 NFL teams make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL if you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked On Seahawks podcast you can contact me LockedSeahawks at gmail.com Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on our Tuesday show, we'll be revisiting another Seahawks playoff class.
Classic for Throwback Tuesday. Plus, we'll be looking at numbers 15 through 11 in our Top 100 Seahawks Countdown. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.